0: I'm jumping in today to start our service because the message is not me today or my message is not the main message. Actually, the main message will be coming up here in just a few moments when some of those who've declared their faith in Christ are going to share their, their testimonies uh, about life change that's happened in them and we get to celebrate that in baptism. And so we are jumping into the message immediately today. So when you think about what we started last week, I know some family members are here maybe uh, because of a family member or a friend getting baptized. And so let's kind of hit review real quick on where we were last week and where we are going in in the weeks and even months ahead. We started a series last week called Noise, just recognizing there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of reverberation, a lot of sound, a lot of fury. And I I began to do some research on What out there is making the greatest amount of noise? Uh, Now, I know it's probably not what you're thinking. You might be thinking it's the politicians out there making a lot of noise, or it's social media out there, that's certainly making a lot of noise, and we certainly want to address that noise. But do you know, uh, factoid here, do you know what the loudest sounding creature in the world is? Well, thank you for not answering that out loud because uh, I don't know that I would have understood what you said, but a sperm whale is actually the largest uh, uh, whale out in the ocean who, when it communicates, it communicates on what's called an echolocation or sends sound waves through the water that can reach up to 200 decibels. Now that's, where do you put that into perspective? I'll I'll break that down in a moment. But this is what was amazing to me, because we know how sound travels in water differently than sound travels in air. And I'm not even going to get into the science of that because I would show my ignorance more than anything. But those two 200 to 230 decibels will travel listen to this underwater that sound will travel 10,000 miles 10,000 miles, you can hear a sperm well underwater. So that's incredible. Now, how does 200, 230 decibels sound on, 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 on land? Well, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you that a jet airplane, uh, puts off about 150 decibels. So, 150 decibels for a jet airplane. Thunderclap, if you're outside and one lightning and a clap happens immediately around you, it's about 120 decibels. If you uh, hear jackhammer, it's about 100 decibels. But if you want to hear a whisper, it's only 15 decibels. So, if you're going to hear a whisper, you're going to have to be very intentional about hearing a whisper. If you want to hear a whisper, you're probably going to have to lean in to hear the whisper. If you want to hear a whisper, you're probably going to have to tune out or tune down some ambient noises around you. Some of you watching online right now, maybe have kids going in all kinds of places. And if you're going to be able to focus today, you're going to have to tune out and tune in. But when God speaks, how does he speak? Well, there's a lot of ways that he speaks, but one of those, when he speaks, some might even say, and the scripture says this, that it's the sound of a low whisper. The sound of a low whisper. So when you think about all the noises that are in this world today, if you're going to hear the voice of God, it's not going to be something you're going to get it by accident. You might get it by accident because you weren't looking for it. But when God speaks, sometimes if we're really listening, we can hear it. And sometimes we can literally tune God out. So we talked about it last week, about what we need to tune out or tune down and what we need to tune in, okay, or turn up. So let's roll real, real quickly. If you're, again, just now joining us online or you're joining us in the room today, then what is it that we need to turn off? I want to say this. I want you to think of it in terms of fasting and feasting, okay? Uh, what we need to do is we need to turn off, we need to fast from some noises out there. And whether that's social media, you could name all the noises that there are potential out there. It could be social media. It could be somebody who's close neighbor to you. It could be somebody sitting right next to you right now that's making a lot of noise. It could be somebody that you live with, somebody that you work with, that really is distracting from, distracting from being able to hear that gentle, quiet whisper of God. So what do you need to turn off? What do you need? For myself, I've turned off social media for 31 days. Last week, kicking it off last week, all the way to the election, I don't need to hear the clamor, the clanging, and the banging of social media right now. I need to be leaning in to that whisper of God. There's some big decisions that we're all making in the days and the weeks ahead, and so I think we need to fast from things. That's a biblical concept, by the way. It's biblical when we think about it. Many times we think about it in food, but sometimes it needs to be the noises in our world feasting, we need to turn up the volume on something else. Tune out, turn off, or tune up some of the volume uh, that's around us. Now, what would that be? I would challenge you, as I challenged you last week, I'll challenge you every week here for the next few months, and that is to read a proverb a day, one chapter a day. For the next 31 days, there's 31 chapters. Take you 31 days to read through the book of Proverbs. You're going to get wisdom on top of wisdom on top of wisdom. And when you finish it, start all over again. I promise you, if you're taking notes, every single month that you read it, every single week that you read it, then you will find new truths because God will whisper those truths into your life. You cannot get enough of the Proverbs, so just jump in and get in there every day. We also started last week signing up for a weekly devotional that will come into your inbox. If you're interested in that, there it is. Text NOISE to 9700. Those of you watching online, text NOISE to 9700. That will get you in an email box tomorrow a devotional that will help you, again, just sort through some stuff, some, th- some thoughts around the noise that's out there in this world. Also, I want to encourage you to buy a journal, okay? We have ESV, English Standard Version, which is the translation that I use. Journal Bibles that are out in the uh, Grace Point store, kind of in that connector gallery area. Go buy there, pick up one of those, because you're going to get more out of the Proverbs as you write down the truth that God's given you. And for every page of Proverbs, there's an empty blank page that you can be recording your thoughts in there. These are just items. These are just ways that we're trying to help turn up some noise, some good noise, while you turn down some of that ambient noise around you. Also, join a small group. That's all I can say about that. Because when you process through the Proverbs, you might get this deep but when you get around about three or four or five or six or seven other people that are also reading it, you will get even deeper. It will sink even further into your soul. So if you're interested in a group, text GPC nine seven triple uh, zero and uh, GPC Connect, and then again, and Nathan will reach back out to you and help you find a group, whether it's online. Or groups that are meeting. We have groups that have been meeting all summer long. And praise the Lord, we've not had a single COVID case reported out of any of the groups that we've meeting. So continue to pray to that very end. All of this, fasting, feasting, turning down, turning off, tuning up, turning up. All of this is incredibly intentional work that you must do. If you're going to hear wisdom through the clamor and the noise and the fury of our day, Tim Keller has a great devotional book through the book of, uh, 52 weeks through the book of Proverbs. Again, another resource is out there, but he said this about wisdom. The way of wisdom is not the way of quick fixes or, or dramatic turnarounds. It's the way of long training and discipline. But the train of the brain, not just the mind and the will. So it's not just, hey, God, I need wisdom right now for this decision. And I'm going to all of a sudden download wisdom. It is a training. It is a long-term commitment training process that you go through as you meet with God. That's why I encourage you every day to be in the Word. That's why I encourage you to journal what God is saying to you when you read the Word. The more you're training yourself to think with wisdom, the better you will train your heart to live that out, okay? And hang on to that phrase, training the heart. We'll come back to that in just a moment because that is very important. So over the next 60 days, if you started it last week, to the end of November, we're going to be in Proverbs. I encourage you to journey with us. Take your Bibles today and open to chapter 3 of Proverbs. We'll be there in a moment, but I wanted to remind you when I gave you the outline of Proverbs as a whole book that the first nine chapters is really a parent's letter to their children. A parent's letter of of a mother and a father combining their wisdom, setting down with their children, the next generation, whether your children are in fourth grade or they're 14 or they're 24 or they're 34 you can pour this wisdom into them in fact i'll say this if you're looking for a study to do with your children start with proverbs chapter 1 and go through verse 9 because it is literally a father and a mother speaking to their children and you can see this whenever you look at just the first chapter chapter 1 verse 8 It says hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. You can see there that he's calling the mother and the father to, to team parent. Okay. Team parent your children. It's not a individual parenting. And I know there's divorce situations and I just want to encourage you, whether you're a step family or you have a, you're not with your spouse and you're not on the same page in parenting somehow for the good of the children co-parent around the wisdom of God. Maybe you, even if you're in that divorce situation, you say, okay, we don't agree on a lot of things, but we can agree on the Proverbs. And so we're going to co-parent our children along with Proverbs uh, along that way. So think about it like that. And if you're looking for that that curriculum that you're going to use on your next daddy-daughter retreat or your next father-son getaway or mother-daughter or whatever the combination is, because I want to point out that even though this is Solomon writing to a son, it's also a mother speaking into the son. But don't get all the gender dynamics of this. It could be a mother to a daughter. It could be a mother to a a son. It could be uh, any combination that it it would be. But if you want to look for what is your next curriculum for your next getaway, go to Proverbs chapter 3. Because when you go to Proverbs chapter 3, you're going to see again and again... Again and again, he's going to call out the child. 23 different times in the book of Proverbs does he say, My son, my son, my son. So he's really speaking to the, and in this chapter alone, we find three different statements speaking to the son. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching. They might forget their lunch, they might forget to, to brush their teeth. They might forget a lot of things in life, but I encourage you to encourage them not to miss the wisdom that you want to pass on. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. There's going to be times that you're not going to like life. Life's going to say no when you want to say yes. Lean in on it. If there's wisdom behind it, lean in and listen to what God is trying to say. My son, do not lose sight of these. You can hear in this, A father pleading, begging, saying, please don't miss this truth that I'm giving you. And what I want us to do, and you almost can outline chapter 3 in these three sections right here. But we're going to look at the first section of these. So from verse 1 to verse 10, where it's literally, he's saying, my son, do not forget my teachings. I think what he's trying to say here is son, daughter, next generation, don't miss this. This is so important. I don't want you to forget it. I'm going to give it to you. You've heard me say it once. You're going to hear me say it again. And this is what you need in life. Now, I I think all of us, whether you had good parents or or you didn't have such good parents or you, you, you figured it out or you haven't figured it out, I think all of us could lean in on this and learn as much as we can. Because what Solomon's going to do in the next 10 verses, verse 1 to verse 10, he's going to literally give us cause and effect. He's going to give us a cause and he's going to give us an effect. He's going to give us an action. He's going to give us a reaction. He's going to give us a a what and he's going to give us a why. And if you brought, if you grabbed maybe one of our bulletins or worship guides when you came in today, then you might literally do that right there to your notes, because I want to point out in rapid fire what he gives us when he gives us the what on one side. But in the very next verse, each and every time in, in these 10 verses, he's going to turn right around and give us the why. Because I don't know if you, about you, but when you tell your kids something, have you ever had your kids say, but why? Raise your hand, please. And if you haven't, you're probably not a parent. Because eventually you get tired of the why's and you, you, what do you say? Because I told you so. That's exactly right. That's the wisdom that you have sometimes. Because I don't know why, because my parents told me this, or or whatever the case may be. But he's literally going to give us the what we need to do, and he's going to give us the why. So listen carefully, because there's five of them, two verses dedicated to each one of these. And so we're going to read the text as we go instead of reading it all all at once. So chapter 3, and this is where he starts, and he literally challenges us. Here's the very first thing he gives us. He says, be obedient from your heart, not autonomous in yourself. Be obedient from your heart, not autonomous in yourself. Now, I have to emphasize this because... We are a nation all about our liberties, right? We like our liberty. We stand for our liberty. We want our autonomy. We don't like to be told when to put cotton things on our face. We don't like to be told things by people. We don't like to be dictated to. We, we love our autonomy. And every one of us is built his life on trying to achieve autonomy. Kids say, when I get out of the house, I'm not going to do this. What are they declaring? They're declaring their autonomy. And when they get out, they can choose to do it or they can choose not to do it. Maybe they'll make better choices. Maybe they won't make (laughs) good good, good choices. But they get to live their life and they also get to live with the consequences thereof. But what we have to see in wisdom is there's a little bit, There's a, no, it's not a little bit, there's a whole lot of surrender of self-autonomy, where I realize that there is a better way out there, and I don't have it all, and I don't know it all, and I haven't figured it all out, in that when God gives us a direction, when God gives us a directive, he's, he's giving it for our good, if we would... Enter into this relationship with God, not with suspicion, but with trust, that God is literally in this relationship with me for the good. But we, again, we're afraid we're gonna, he's going to infringe on our rights, our freedoms, and our autonomy. When God says, thou shalt not, you know what he's saying? He's saying, just don't hurt yourself. It's not that he's trying to rip away your autonomy, your liberties. He's trying to say, don't hurt yourself. Every thou shalt not is a say, I don't want to hurt. But when he says thou shalt, he's saying, go bless yourself. So every time God gives us a direction, just got to realize that the motive behind it is the eternal, divine, infinite wisdom of God. And he's literally giving us direction. If we actually, we literally need to change our perception and our perspective of God. That God's not out to be a cosmic killjoy. He's literally out to steer our lives in the best possible direction imaginable. We've got to realize that every good and perfect gift, James says, where does it come from? It comes from the Father. And if we know that we believe that we have a good, loving father who's wanting the very best for our life, and he's trying to get us on the right track and off the wrong track, if we will understand that and enter into that relationship, then we are on the right track. But notice what he said when he said the what. What's the what? The what of this, of this verse is, let your heart keep my commandments. I love it that he didn't just say, keep, let your feet keep my commandments. Let your hands keep my commandments. He says, let your heart. Because obedience with the hands and the feet is compliance. And compliance is not a bad thing. But obedience with the heart, you get the whole person. He says, I want you to obey my commandments from your heart. I want you to lean in, not as a sense of duty, but as an anticipation of delight that God has actually got a better plan than I have for my own life. Now, what's the why? The what is, keep his commandments with our heart. The the why is in verse two, for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Literally, he breaks it down. He says, listen, you want a good life? You want a long life? Keep my commandments with your heart. He literally speaks to the quantity and the quality of life. When you keep my commandments, length of days and years of life, and peace will be added to you. You're going to live a far better life less frustrations, less shame, less guilt, less remorse, less I wish I hadn't have done it, if I would fall in line. It's kind of like driving down the road. There's liberty. There's autonomy on the road, right? You can drive down a highway, and you can see lines in the middle of the road. You can see warning signs telling you what's ahead. And you can even see guardrails on the side of the road trying to keep you inside the lanes. But if you choose to text and drive, if you choose to drink and drive, if you just choose, hey, you know what? I don't care that there's a bend in the road up there. I'm gonna straighten that bend out because it's telling me what I need to do. Now that's about as stupid as a box of rocks. My friends, we wouldn't even think of that, challenging it, because we know that around the corner, if we're not careful, our death is on the other end. Listen, if you will obey this with your heart, length of days, years of life, and peace will be added to you. Doesn't mean that the drunk driver won't come in your lane. Doesn't mean that life's always going to be very clear and the roads are always going to be very smooth. I'm not saying it's going to be, but as a proverb, it's not a promise, it's a proverb, as a general rule of thumb, your life will be far better if you will step in line and be obedient with your heart. Number two, be steadfast, not flaky and flippant. The what? Let's talk about the what? Verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you or leave you is what some translations say bind them around your neck so it's just so you don't lose steadfastness and faithfulness or perseverance is another word that is translated as steadfast love and faithfulness don't let them leave you how are you going to do that you're going to bind them around your neck you're going to write them on the tablet of your heart Now it goes back to the heart again notice it's the heart it's the heart it's the heart so when he challenges us here he's telling us listen don't let steadfastness Don't let faithfulness, don't become weak, persevere in your life. Let there be an endurance of your life. Write it down. In fact, if I was writing down a a list of things that this is the balance of 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 a life of wisdom, I have to admit, I would not have put perseverance or steadfastness or faithfulness on there. But then I began to think about this week, the people that I know in my life over the years that I would consider some of the wisest that I've walked with and wisest that I've leaned into to learn from, I would say that one of the things, one of the qualities about each of those individuals, men and women, was a steadiness in the storms, was a faithfulness in the difficulties was an attitude of perseverance and almost a non-anxious presence. Life would come, winds would blow, storms would, would churn. Yes, 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 yes. But there was a steadiness about them, a steadfastness about them, an unwaveringness about them, a strength and determination about them. And then I began to keep reading through the Proverbs. I'm again; I'm throwing so many Proverbs at you as you're in this study. So jot them all down. Proverbs chapter eight, verse fourteen: I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have counsel and sound wisdom, but also notice what he has with that: I have insight and I have strength. And that idea of strength is that idea of perseverance, steadfastness, staying in there. Listen. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was bound and determined for the cross. He had every temptation from Satan, literally, to kick off his ministry, to take it a different direction. He had temptations to take an easier path. He could have just been the miracle man that walked and talked on the earth. He could have been so many things, but he was destined for the cross, even though the cross was going to require his life. There's a steadfastness and there's a faithfulness about Jesus. There's a steadfastness and there's a faithfulness about those who walk with God. I remember whenever Caleb, our son, was applying for West Point uh, Military Academy, and they told us up front that there's about ten to 12,000 people a year that apply for this, and they only allow 1,000 in. 1,000 seems like a lot. When you stack it next to ten to 12,000, it seems like, whoa, odds are against you. And I can remember he started his application process as a sophomore in high school. And then it was like coaching and counseling and coaching and counseling from old grads in our church and uh, uh, old academy people from other uh, military academies on, uh, on how, to, how to present yourself and build up a resume almost so that when you're interviewed, so out of the 12,000 names and applications that come through, your name will rise to the top. And so go, lots of coaching, lots of coaching. But one of the things that Caleb was in at that time was taekwondo. And he had kind of the excitement and the, the energy behind it had fizzled out. And in fact, I think it even kind of gone dormant. And, uh, in, in one of the interview processes, they asked him so so about himself and that taekwondo came up and he says, yeah, I'm whatever belt is before black belt. He said, I I don't, I don't know that I'm going to finish it. And I can remember the person we were talking to said, Oh no, 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 you need to finish it because West Point's going to be looking for people who will persevere. And, you know, I think about that for a military academy I think about that for the wise people of my life. I think about that for those people who carry wisdom in their life. There's an ability of steadfastness and perseverance and stick to itness and grit that I'm going to stick it out because this is what God's called me to, no matter how difficult it might be. Be trusting and not self reliant. Be trusting and not self reliant. The what. What's the what? The what is to trust the Lord. Now, the calls to action are much larger in this passage, in this little section here, than any others. In fact, I will say, out of all the Proverbs, probably Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, are the most quoted that I know of. It's one of those that's just a go-to. If you don't have it memorized, it'd be a great place to start memorizing. But he literally calls us to a life of trusting. But not just trusting blanket out there, trusting God. Putting God in a seat that you're going to follow his lead, where he's going, where he's calling us to. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, I believe with all my heart that the first phrase, trust in the Lord, is the call to action. Okay? Everything else in that is modifying trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. By the way, that's the third time he refers to the heart. So if you're taking your Bible notes, I'd circle the heart as many times as you've seen it so far. Heart, heart, heart. You're going to trust the Lord with your whole heart. You're not going to lean on your own understanding. You're, in all your ways, you're going to make sure that they align with God. See, what is the difference between a person who trusts God and a person who is trusting self? self-reliance says, I am half in. God wants our whole heart. Self-reliance says, I got this. I don't need you, God. I'll call on you when I need you. No, self-reliance says, do not lean on your own understanding. God, I may think I have it all figured out, but I'm going to lean on your wisdom, not my wisdom. Self-reliance says, I will align with God when I need you. Basically use God. God, I'm going to get in line with you whenever I need you. Otherwise, I'm going to be in line with my own desires. No, no, no. In all of your ways. Do they acknowledge him? In your relationships, do they acknowledge him? In your business practices, do they acknowledge him? In your words, do they acknowledge him? Does your life literally live as a statement of I am trusting you, God? Because that's what we're called to call to it with all of our heart. The big question in your heart and my heart is what happens next? What does God say? Verse six, why? The why in this one is he will make straight your paths. Now, he didn't say that every path's gonna be easy. Every path's gonna end in a pot of gold. He's not saying that but he will steer us on our paths. He will help us stay between the ditches. He will keep us on the right side of the road. He's gonna steer us on the path. Let me ask you, what does your path that you're on right now look like? How does it express and point back to the fact that you're trusting God? You're leaning on self, or are you leaning on God in his understanding? I can tell you about a time, about 10 years into ministry. I've been 30 years this year into ministry, 10 years into ministry. And I was finishing up my master's degree. I was ready to make a move. I had an opportunity, I had an opportunity. I heard of an opportunity in Little Rock to move to Little Rock to be a part of this bigger organization that was moving and doing things. And I thought, I want it. I went out of this town. I don't want to go to Little Rock. Now, why anybody wants to go to Little Rock, I don't know. But I wanted to go to Little Rock, and uh, I wanted to work there, and I wanted to be a part of this big organization, and I want to make a name for myself. i um, in my late 20s. It's time for that kind of move. I'm ready. I'm ready for that upward momentum. And I was going to be a team leader, so I built my resume out. I shared it with Lori. And Lori, said, I don't want to go to Little Rock. She used to live in Little Rock, so she knows. But uh, but but I, I know better because I'm the man, right? And I know better. I'm joking there, tongue in cheek, okay? Uh, don't tune me out if you're watching online. Uh, so I, I, I went ahead and I submitted my, my resume for this role, and uh, I was turned down. Now, you got to realize I had already mentally moved to Little Rock. I was emotionally in Little Rock. I don't know why they wouldn't have picked me out of all of these names and people that they wouldn't have chosen me. But I can tell you this, whenever the guy that was very nice wrote me a personal note back saying I was, not, I was not selected for the position, but he gave me a verse, and he gave me a verse from Proverbs. He gave me a verse from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, that to this day, it's one of my go-to verses. When I'm praying for people, I pray this verse for them, and it dates back to 20 years ago. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter as the day is full, the path that you're on may be kind of dark and shady and can't really see a long ways ahead right now. Don't get lost in what's around the corner. Don't get lost in what you don't know. Just take the next step of righteousness that you do know. And when you take that next step of righteousness that you do know, God's going to turn the dial up on the sun a little bit more. And then you take another step of righteousness he's going to turn it up a little bit more. The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter as the day is full. So why is it, where are you trusting or where are you self-relying? Because it's really, really easy to self-rely. Tell me about your path. Oh, by the way, God then two years later calls us to Zambia, moved to Africa moved from Africa back to here to start Grace Point. And I can tell you right now, I am so, so grateful because I now know why that job landed and where it is and all that kind of stuff. I am so, so grateful God took us to Africa to bring us to Bentonville to start Grace Point. So amen to that. Yes, take that next step of obedience. Number four, be humble, not arrogant. Now these build on each other. You just talked about being trusting being trusting, not being trusting. Well, if you're trusting in, not trusting in, your, uh, uh, in God, you're probably trusting in yourself, which is just a bold faced arrogance. Here's the problem with arrogance. Ar- arrogance is like body odor. Typically people smell you before you smell you. All right. It, it's kind of like your front man. It's kind of like it comes in before you get there. Uh, arrogance is that kind of thing that that people can smell and detect that even if you're not aware. Now, you give me lust, I can tell you within 30 seconds of when I lusted. You give me materialism and as soon as I make that purchase, I know I shouldn't have made that purchase. Uh, you know, uh, you give me uh, anger and within 30 seconds after I blew my top, I know, oh, I shouldn't have said that. It's gonna be a mess now to clean up. You know, I can tell you, but arrogance and pride, it's hard. Because you think you got it all figured out. Well, people who are full of themselves can't be full of God. We've got to realize that as a life principle. The what, verse seven. The what says this, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. you going to choose fearing, we talked about that last week, can't go back there. Fearing the Lord and that whole respecting God and putting him first in our lives. Fear the Lord or are you going to Focus on how great and awesome and how much you know. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The why, what happens? It brings healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You will be better inside and out whenever you aren't arrogant. I don't have time to develop all these. Number five, be a steward not an owner. Be a steward, not an owner. When I talk about being a steward, I want to start with the why this time. The why says this, because your barns will be filled with plenty, verse 10 says, and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's the why. Look at verse 10. But let's go back to the what. Because, again, I'm emphasizing more of that because that's what we do. Let's let God take care of what he does. And that's the why. The what is what we are to do. What are we to do? Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and your first fruits of your increase. Now, I like the way the message paraphrases that. He says, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Now, when we come to this this topic, and again, it's not exactly one of those things that I would have put in the bucket of wisdom, but there is something about it whenever you spend 80% of your day spending, making, doing things with money, and if we don't let money speak to it, and then when you read the Proverbs and everything it has to say about wealth and debt and management, you can't get away from it. But he literally lays it up for us. This is what it takes to be a wise person with money. There's a lot of foolishness out there, but this is what wise people do with their money. The first thing they do is they give God their first and their best. Off the top, not off the bottom. Give God their first and their best. And all I wanna say is this, whether you're a part of Grace Point or you're not a part of Grace Point, you need to give God your first and your best. There's opportunities and ways that you can give Generously to Grace Point. And I want to say this parents, 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 model, model for the next generation what it's like to be generous to your church. Model. My mother sitting right here raised me and two other brothers on a hairdresser's salary and no child support, but yet she tithed and she taught us to tithe. My wife sitting here, her parents are at home watching. Taught her to tithe. When we got married, we just gave. It was not even a debate. And we have never regretted one time. Honor the Lord with the first and your best. But notice this. It's not just the 10%, okay? Some people think, well, if I give God 10, I get the 90, right? I get to do with the 90 what I want to do. No, look at the very first part of that verse. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. It it wasn't even just one section of the wealth; it's all of it. That means everything about what I spend, what I invest in, what I do with the with the resources that God allows me to have. I actually need to honor Him with it. That's what I need to do. This past week, I uh, uh, had a situation, and and I've told y'all before I'm the spender in the family. Um, I had an opportunity this week to make a purchase for something. And the thing is, is that I don't like debt. So money's in the bank account. I can literally pull up my app right now and show you the money's in the bank account. Lori, money in the bank account. And she's agreeing to this purchase. So she's agreeing with the purchase. There's money in the bank. We've been wanting this something for a good while. And Everything's lining up. We've got a plan in place, money, everything. And I've got dopamine in the brain dripping right now. I'm so ready to make a purchase. And I go to bed and I wake up in the middle of the night and it was a still whisper of God. It just said, no, I don't want you to use that money that you saved for that. I don't want you to use it for that. And I can just tell you this. I don't know what God wants us to do with this money, but he doesn't want us to use it for that. And so dopamine dripped Mike, ready to purchase, ready to make a, 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 a sale, complete it, had to say no. And you know what? I can tell you right now, no regrets. Uh, no regrets. I don't know what, when, how, what that money's for, but I know that it's, God's got something else for it. So it's not just what do I give to God, but what do I do with what I keep? Because I'm not the owner of it. I'm the steward of it. And so it is with your life. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. Last verse, and I'm done. Last verse, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads to life. I want life. I want a full life. I want a balanced life. I want a life full of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, relationship with God, leads to life, and whoever has it, rest satisfied. There is a contentment that even though I didn't make that purchase, there's a contentment that God is satisfying my heart. What about you? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Here in a few moments, the number one message of our day are going to be those who've given their life to following. Jesus. In fact, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, you're going to be baptized today. If you'll go out that door right there over to my left and make your way around to the back, then we'll be back there in a moment. But here, I want to give a challenge. As they get ready and go out, I want to give a challenge. Because somebody in this room, multiple somebody's in this room right now is setting on their seat. They're setting on ready to take that next step of obedience. And that next step of obedience is trusting God with their life. Not leaning on their understanding, with their life. Acknowledging him in all their life, God is calling you. I believe it in a room this size. If you are willing to go home wet, we have a t-shirt for you and a towel. You're going to give your life to Jesus right now. You can give your life to Jesus, you can go home wet Let me pray for those in this room that that applies to. Father God, you know everybody in this room. You know our hearts. You know where we're at, with you or without you. And Lord, I would pray that every one of us would be, yes, I'm taking the next step of obedience. And yes, I'm going with you, Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room that hasn't given their life to following Jesus and ready to declare their faith in Jesus, I pray you give them the courage and the boldness to meet me in the back right now. Give them the courage and the boldness to say yes to you, Jesus. Yes to trusting you. Yes to leaning on you. Yes to acknowledging you. Yes with their hearts, not their heads only. Not their hands only but with their hearts. Lord, we thank you for these times together. We give you ourselves because you are the awesome God, has all authority over all of us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? And if you're one today who is ready to go home wet, give your life to Jesus, go out that door and meet me in the back.